Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, Episode 94. Today, I'm sitting down with Scout Sobel, the founder of Scout's Agency. Scout's Agency focuses on podcast PR, and 90% of her clients are women. Scout has a passion for sharing about her entrepreneurship story and journey with mental illness. She's an open book when it comes to her bipolar disorder diagnosis, and her honesty and willingness to share is such a gift. If you're an entrepreneur or someone who struggles with mental health, this episode is a must listen. I hope today's episode makes you feel less alone and more encouraged in your own ongoing journey to wholeness and to health. All right, you ready? Let's do it. I'm Jessica Zimmerman, and this is Zimmerman Podcast. I'm a serial entrepreneur, mom to three, and professional oversharer who has spent a decade building my business and helping others do the same. From wedding floral design to business education, features in Martha Stewart Weddings and Forbes magazine, and even writing and publishing my best-selling memoir, Sleeping with a Stranger, my business has kept growing, evolving, and changing year after year, just like me. Because the best thing about building a strong business is the freedom it gives me to live a full life. And that's what Zimmerman Podcast is all about, sharing real, transparent, in-the-moment reflections about how to live a life, build a business, and lead a family through the good, the hard, and the messy. That's what we're doing each week, right here on Zimmerman Podcast. Welcome to the show. Scout, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be so much fun. It's going to be. Okay, so in my book, Sleeping with a Stranger, I talk a lot about physical and mental health. And so talking about therapy and mental health isn't, it's not a new thing for Zimmerman Podcast, but I'm so excited to have an open conversation today about what it looks like to be an entrepreneur who also struggles with mental health. So for anyone in the Zimmerman audience who doesn't know you, can you tell me about yourself and a little about your mental health journey and how mental health has played a role in your work history? Yeah, totally. So um, I guess I'll start real quickly with my professional sentence. Um, I am the founder of Scouts Agency, which is a PR agency that specializes in female voices, brands, companies, authors, podcasters. And then I also run OKSIS Podcast with my sister. And I just launched my own podcast called Scout Podcast, which is just solo episodes of me talking about mental health. And kind of if you go back to when I was 14 years old, um, I had my first depressive episode. And um, I, when I was 20, I was formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 2 and general anxiety disorder. And over the years, I've had a plethora of symptoms, which include depression, anxiety, hypomania, psychosis, where I hear voices or I hear um, it's kind of difficult to describe, but thoughts inside my head that aren't my own. So it feels like someone planted them there. So it's a whole losing touch with reality situation. And then um, I've dealt with extreme paranoia where I have felt that men are following me home waiting to kill me. And I have also dealt with catatonia, which is when your nervous system, you get so overwhelmed by emotion that your body physically shuts down and you actually become paralyzed for 30 seconds to hours on end. 
friend. So um, I've had a little bit of a run with a mental illness. I've been an inpatient. I've been an outpatient twice. Um, been on every medication known to mankind. Uh, therapy for 14 years. Uh, spiritual holistic practices as well. And that's really led me to being an entrepreneur because I do have a very specific, sensitive type of brain. And being an entrepreneur has not only given me accountability, but has also allowed me to flex my creative instincts in a way that works with my mental illness. Wow. First of all, thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable. I think this is really incredible that you are willing to speak about this so openly. I think it's so sad too that we haven't always been able to, you know what I mean? Or that maybe people just haven't until, you know, more recently. But I just want to applaud you because I think the more we talk about things, you know, the better we're all going to be for it, right? Yeah. And so when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed at 20 and um, that was, I'm 28 now. So that was eight years ago. And even the word bipolar was not what it is today. It was not thrown around like it is today. It is not talked about like it is today. And I really thought it was sort of a death sentence. Like I'm going to be crazy for the rest of my life. And I got to a point where I was just kind of done with that shame. Like my sister always makes fun of me because I don't care. I'll tell the barista. You know what I mean? Like I, we have a drinking game on our podcast. Every time I say bipolar, our listeners have to take a shot because I talk about it so much because if I had diabetes, I would talk about it, right? Like if I had, you know, going through God forbid cancer, like you would know about it. And so I just talk about it as much as I can in hopes to break that stigma. And it's also very healing for me to be open and not ashamed of it. I find something that I say a lot, and I wonder if this is insensitive. I say often, oh, you're crazy. I'm crazy. Don't make me feel like I'm crazy. Kids, you're crazy. What does that word mean to you when you hear it? Yeah. And also you can ask me anything. I, I don't really get easily offended, but um, crazy. I love open books. So yeah, you. no. Yeah. You can ask me whatever. Um, crazy doesn't bother me personally. Um, I, yes, in the depths of my depression, I've said, am I crazy? But I don't really equate crazy as um, like a word that can't be used nonchalantly amongst and in a silly way amongst family and friends. Um, that could be completely different for somebody else. What does sometimes bother me is when I'm watching TV or I'm talking to a friend and they're like, ugh, that girl at work, she's so nice to me one minute and then she's a bitch the next. She's so freaking bipolar. And I'm like, well, that's not really what bipolar is. Bipolar people aren't mean and then nice. That's not our that's not our deal. I'm very nice to people. We're depressed and then we're sad. And so sometimes it's been equated as bipolar polar as someone who is really mean and then really nice and like you can't figure them out. No, that's just like they're having emotional issues and insecurity issues. It's not it's not the mental illness. And so that sometimes bothers me, but not really. Like I get it. I understand where people like that are coming from, you know, but no, the word crazy to me, I mean, I think I call my husband crazy too. So yeah, no, that doesn't bother me. Okay, good. It's part of my everyday vocabulary. And I find my, I myself though saying, you should probably come up with a different word or figure <laughs> out another way to say it. Um, was there a specific incident that happened that I've just, I've heard of different things, you know, where someone seems to go their whole life, their whole childhood and and not really um, 
seeing anything. And then they get in their 20s and there's an event that happens or something that that triggers something. And then they find themselves hospitalized or, you know, and then life kind of from there, that point on is different. Was it like that for you or did did this start way earlier? What can you kind of tell me about that? Yeah. So looking back as a child in elementary school, I really wanted to be alone a lot. So I didn't want to go to camp. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to socialize. I wanted to be locked up in my room with my books and my journal and my toys. I was just introspective. I lived within my body and in my mind constantly. Um, And so that really makes sense because by the time I got to middle school and hormones started happening and puberty and growing up, I kind of recognized my eighth grade as like this. I was feeling deeply and realizing emotions and writing all the time poetry and reading Allen Ginsberg and all that good stuff. And so by the time I got to high school in ninth grade, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And um, my first like boyfriend broke up with me. Like it all happened in the same week, and I fell into a depression. And I started cutting myself, and I started either restricting food or binging food, not showering, um, wearing sweatpants, and not like the cute athleisure wear that's going around right now. Um, it was not. It was not cute. Um, and once I lifted out of that. I was like fine in high school. I just had these moments where I didn't understand how I was going to be able to complete a simple homework assignment by the next day. Um, And it started showing up in little ways like that where things that were so easy for people to do became like walking through quicksand. Like just – I learned Hebrew growing up because I went to a Jewish school, like just writing down my 10 vocabulary words and the translation, like something as simple as that. I would cry in my room not knowing why my brain was so resistant and couldn't get through it. Like, So I went super, super down. Um, But at the same token, I was in high school. And so I had a therapist. My parents forced me to go into therapy. And I ranked – I took a uh, 500-question test and I ranked in between chronic and um, clinical depression. And um, I was 17 at the time. And, you know, I'm happy that I wasn't diagnosed in high school because – there is a level of hormones that play a role, but there's also a level of, you know, medication can be tricky once labeled, especially that young. And so it wasn't really until I went to college that I started developing that severe case of paranoia. And I would plan escape routes in the middle of the night about how I was going to escape the guy that was under my bed and my closet on my balcony. And I wouldn't move a finger because I was so scared that I started to realize, and I use this word very lightly, I started to realize that the emotional experiences I was going through and had gone through were not quote unquote normal or they were toxic and unhealthy. And that's when I turned 18 that I realized, okay, I have something in my brain that doesn't work the way the baseline really should work for me to live a healthy, happy, fulfilled life. And that's when um, doctors got involved and psychiatrists got involved. And then the diagnosis was formally diagnosed when I was 20. And um, it's been it's been a journey since. I was once um, unable to function. I had to drop out of college. I couldn't hold a job or an internship, move in with my parents. And um, it's weird because I'm a pretty big high achiever today. Um, it's interesting to look back on that time and know that I was just in a bed and I couldn't, I couldn't handle life. Like going to the bank, I couldn't handle life. 
did that come to you that that sense of there's something that's not working you know uh correctly in my brain did that come to you on its own or did someone say that to you or did did multiple people say this isn't normal like what made you think okay this isn't right i can function differently if i go speak to someone yeah um i think in high school when i took that test and i was clinically and chronic depressed like i knew it because this t- therapist told me but this therapist was awful he talked about himself for 30 minutes of every session he didn't inform my parents that i had ranked so high in the clinical chronic and clinical depression scope. And so nobody around me took it so seriously. We just knew that I was emotional and I had to go to therapy. And um, it was when I was on the phone with my dad at 18 years old in college, crying hysterically saying, I need to come home or I need to switch schools or something needs to change. And he asked me, are you sure this isn't just because you know you left home? And my parents had gotten a divorce that year and I grew up in a very small knit community. So being on my own was a big adjustment. And he said, because he didn't understand the disease either. And that was a moment in my head where I was like, no, I could go through so many bigger life tragedies and still know that what I am experiencing right now is a disease. I was able in that moment, I remember I was on the balcony crying to him, trying to make him understand that something bigger and more dangerous was happening to me. And I had to figure out a way to communicate to my family and friends that this wasn't me dealing with my mom's illness. This wasn't me dealing with my parents' divorce. This was a disease that, if not managed, can be very dangerous. And I've had a lot of suicidal ideation over the years. And so that really was the moment standing on my balcony trying to make my dad understand that this wasn't this wasn't just growing pains. That's got to be so irritating and frustrating because everyone wants to, oh gosh, I talk about this in my book, Sleeping with a Stranger, is that sometimes all we need is for someone to listen to us and to just hold space with us. Everyone wants to fix things. Everyone wants to assume that they have some part in in solving a problem or they've had some part in creating the problem. And that's got to be so frustrating. You're sitting there going, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It doesn't have anything to do with school. It ha- this is going to be this way no matter where I am, no matter who I'm with. Um, that had to have been such a hard, it's almost like a fight you have to win to convince someone, right? It was difficult. Um, my mom had suffered from depression, so she really understood what I was going through. I don't think she understood the magnitude of my disorder. It took my dad a little bit of time, and he admits that. But once he did get it, he became my biggest advocate. He has read every freaking article on bipolar disorder. He is an advocate for that. I live with a disease. He advocates for me in the psychiatrist's office. He has come over in the middle of the night. He has you know, brought me home to spend time with him. He's been on suicide watch with me. He has visited me in the hospital. I remember when I was um, hospitalized, he made sure that I wouldn't eat the hospital food, but that I was delivered really nice meals <laughs> three times a day. 
day, which was not, didn't go over so well with the rest of the patients, but um, he has become my biggest support. And in that, I am so lucky that I have a family that really understands. I mean, my entire family understands. Um, It definitely took a little bit. I mean, it took a little bit for me. Like I didn't get it, right? I just knew and felt that this was something different than or something dangerous if not treated. And so, um, yeah, it took a little bit of convincing. But once my dad saw what was happening to me, he got on board. He got me the best health care. He got me the best care. And he really stepped in as a father figure, as a support system, and as my complete foundation when it came to my recovery. Mm, that's incredible. I love that you have that in your life. That's really that's really wonderful. Um, you said earlier that being bipolar is being depressed than sad. What's the what's the difference? Yeah. So first, there's actually two different types of bipolar disorder. Um, type one is when you experience more mania. Um, so that is like uh, when you are high and like you're on ecstasy and you have energy and all that stuff, and then you deal less with the depression. Um, type two is when you deal more with the depression and uh, more hypomania, so less on the complete manic side. So I have type two where depression is my main symptom. The difference between being sad and depressed, the best way to explain it, like one day I had a fight with my family and I couldn't stop crying and I was sad, right? Like it, it made me sad. Um, when I'm depressed, I feel like I've never withdrawn from drugs, so I can't speak to that necessarily. But I can imagine it. It kind of feels like you're withdrawing from something, and your whole life's in danger, and you just want something to make it go away. And it's so overwhelming that you feel like your brain is going to burst, and you're not safe. Like your being, your identity, your physical health is not safe, and you don't feel safe. You feel like the foundation is completely crumbling. You know, like I've experienced grief that moment when someone passes away and you're like, how do I change this and make this never happen again? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like living with that intense of a moment over a really long period of time constantly. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, no, I just was thinking because my uh, my sister died when I was three. I survived a car accident that we were both in. And um, – my book is about uh, my husband getting ill and me basically out of complete fear, you know, trying to get him healthy because I was so scared that I would lose mm-hmm. him like I did my sister. I don't know. That just caught me how you were like explaining all of that. Um, yeah. It's like that moment where something is so seriously out of your control and the, the not the consequence, the result can be life or death. mm and it's that mm-hmm. altering and groundbreaking within, you know, your gut and your heart, exactly how you described, you know, like fighting for your husband. Yeah. That's that's kind of the desperation and the franticness that happens. Yeah. Was it a series of events or one specific event that led to being hospitalized? Um, it was a series of events. I was essentially having suicidal ideation, and my therapist says that said that I needed an emergency psychiatric evaluation. So I went into the ER. My both my parents met me there. Um, they were divorced at the time, so it was a little bit, you know, tension. But they both met me there, and the nurse asked us. You know, I went right in because suicidal ideation, you get right in. And my mom told me to not tell them everything, and I didn't understand what she meant. Um, And I went in and the nurse said, 
you know, tell me what's going on. And I told her and she said, do you have a plan? And I said, no. She said, do you know how you would kill yourself? And I said, well, I'd probably do something easy like X, Y, and Z. And that was it. They called the guard and um, I asked to go to the bathroom and they said a guard would have to walk me to the bathroom and wait at the bathroom outside for me. And um, I was deemed, and I will always remember this, a threat to myself and to society. Mm. And they said I, they were 5150ing me. And I said, can my parents drive me to the hospital? And they said, no. They strapped me to a strapper and put me in an ambulance. And um, I remember being in the ambulance with the EMT guys. And one of them looked at me and he said, what are you thinking about? And I said that for the rest of my life, no matter who gets close to me, I'm going to have to tell them that I was admitted to the hospital for mental problems. And Mm. he looked straight at me and he said, it won't matter if they love you. And I wish that I could find that man. I really do. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm seriously in tears with yeah. you saying that because what an incredible gift that is. Like it, what an yeah. incredible gift at like the perfect time. Could you imagine? He could have easily been like, oh, another chick off her rocker going to, you yes. know, but yeah. Um, and that just shows you like just such humanity, you know, yeah. that, that it really, we've all, we've all got our shit. We've all, we yeah. all have stuff, you know, it doesn't, mm-hmm. and that it, it really, if they love you, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you today. I don't even know you. I've just met you virtually <laughs> over this, you know, this call. But I feel such a connection to you, and I love, um, I just love learning about this from you. I think, I think, you know, I think sometimes we're given things. Um, those of us who are really brave and and really strong, who have, and you and you don't just get there. You have to go through a lot of stuff to 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 get the strength that that you have and i think sometimes we're given these experiences because it's almost like ah, god knows you're strong enough to share it there's so many people that have experiences and then they live in such shame that they never share it and i think being able to go through some, like what we go through in life was meant to share and so we can have connection and with others and we can help others. And so I think what you're sharing and how you even have a podcast that this is all you talk about is it's got to be, does that give you some kind of validation knowing that because you're brave enough to talk about it, that it's helping people? Does that make it okay that you have, that you have, um, have gone through these things and, and continue to, um, It's interesting. I think about that a lot. Um, You know, I have, through both of my podcasts, come in contact with many women who are dealing with similar issues that I have, and I've even gotten on the phone with some of them just to check in and see how they're doing. And um, some of them say that no one – they've never even spoken to anyone about this, but they felt that they could talk to me about it. Um, And so that is amazing to me that I've allowed them to take that first step. Um, I – it's hard because I'm not a registered therapist and that's not my job to help people move through that on a one-on-one basis. So all I can do is share my story because that's how I can help. Um, but selfishly, it helps me. Like I'm so happy that it reaches other people, but 
I would still go on a mic and record if no one listened, you know? Um, so helping people is really just this additional benefit of telling my story. It's really my healing journey and how I've been able to heal. And yeah, it's helped a lot of people and that brings me such joy. I, I really get overwhelmed with gratitude and it's quite humbling to know that people that you haven't met hear your story and relate to it so much so that they reach out and just tell you that. Um, so yeah, that's that's been amazing. And it's also um obviously you mentioned God. Um I'm, you know, I'm Jewish, but in a in a spiritual sense and not in a religious sense, um being connected to God during all this has been my biggest support system. Um, and you can call it energy, the universe, spirit, your inner guide, whatever you want to call it. But the minute I started having a little bit of faith in this world um, through a higher power was when I really started to see the results of my life unfold and strength come in. So I would ask God all the time, why did you give this to me? And I was journaling one morning and it just came through to me. I kept hearing these stories of people who were 40 and 50 and they realized that, oh my God, I'm married to a person I don't love and I'm in a job I was only supposed to work two years in and, and I hate it and I never figured out my purpose. And I realized and I thanked God for giving me bipolar disorder because I knew that I would never wake up at 40 or 50 and be unhappy with my life because if I make one little decision that is not aligned in my highest purpose – my bipolar flares up and makes me depressed. It's like this inner compass. There's no freaking way I could work a job I hated. It wouldn't work. I would physically have catatonia and not be able to move. So in that way, it is the biggest blessing now that I've gotten to a point where I can manage it in the sense that my life and everything I do and the relationships I have and the entrepreneurial jobs that I pursue, they are all in such alignment with my fulfillment that at 28 years old, I can say I'm successful and I love my life. You know, I love it so much. So that's a gift that I would not have if I did not have bipolar disorder. What a what an amazing outlook on that. Like I think that that's so uh, wise. I think it's so beyond your years. I mean, I'm talking to you. I think you sound beyond your years. And I think that um, it's almost like it's happening for you, not to you, you know? like All, all of life happens for us, not to yes, us, no matter absolutely. what. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that I love how you, you know, you realize that because I, I can't, I couldn't agree more. I think that for me, there's three things I have to do every day to, you know, to have a good day. And it's, you know, I believe that my mind, my body, and my spirit are all connected. And mm -hmm. I have to tune into all of the, all three of those in order to, you know, kind of be my best self for that day. And, um, and that spiritual side is such a huge part of it, that faith. Uh, so I think I love that you tapped into that and you realized that there's, there's a, there is a purpose, you know, do you think that there are certain things that, that trigger you? Like, do you, re do you recognize, oh, I can't do that or, oh, I'm starting to feel this way. Are there, does that happen to you? Yeah. So there are things that are limited for me, um, which I accept. One is being close to my family. Um, I cannot live anywhere that is not close to my family um, because that support system is so important. Um, things like traveling to Europe are really bad for me. Um, 
the time change and the moving and the no routine, and it's not good for me. I get very anxious and depressed when I travel, which is very strange because you'll see me like on a, with a picture in Paris and loving life, but really I had to leave the restaurant because I had an anxiety attack in the middle of like a gorgeous fancy restaurant. Um, so traveling like is not good for me. So I say no to stuff like that. Um, sleep is very important. I have to get at least eight hours every single night. I shoot for nine. I just, that's what I need. And if I don't have it, I get, you know, a little uh, triggered. Um, I get, I don't get triggered by really big events, which is interesting. So like life I can handle, like my parents' divorce sucked, but I handled it. Coronavirus, I'm handling it. Like there's things that when external things happen, I get it. But when it's internal, that's when it's a little bit more tricky for me. So it's really about creating a routine, but also I just say no to things that I know aren't going to work for me, whether it's a social event or like a party. Ever since I was young, I would always leave the party early because I knew I had to sleep. Um, so there's just like restrictions of things, you know, I can't just like spontaneously go on a trip. Like that freaks me out. Um, so I just know that I know my limits, I know my boundaries, and I really don't cross them um, if an opportunity arises, no matter how good it looks on paper and how good it'll look on my Instagram feed and how like selfish I am that like I remember my mom, we were going to Paris and I was like, I can't go. Like I just I can't. It's gonna be bad for my mental health. And I canceled my trip four days before. So, you know, it's just realizing that just because it's other people think that's the pinnacle of what you should be doing, that doesn't mean that that's what works for you. Would you pay a dollar a day for more energy, focus, and drive? That's what I get with Beekeepers Naturals Bee-Powered Superfood Honey. Every day, I take a spoonful of their bee-powered honey, and every night, I go to bed after my kids, which is saying a lot. Before bee-powered, I'd be totally out of energy by 4 p.m. Can anyone relate? Running a growing business while being a mom to three kids, including some pretty wild twin boy toddlers, it's exhausting. But with Bee Powered, I feel more focused and driven than I have in a while, like maybe even before kids. You know I wouldn't try to sell you something that I don't believe in and actually use myself, but I love my Bee Powered, and now I honestly can't imagine my life without it. If you want 15% off Bee Powered, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B to get yours today. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B-E-E. So I got an email from you. You were pitching a guest to be on this podcast. And I will say I've heard from, you know, several different agencies pitching their guests. And I read your email and I thought, wow, they just have their stuff together. Like they, th this, everything that I need to know is right here. And you even had, there's other people on your team that had emailed and I even emailed back and y'all got right away and got back will be right away. I mean, it's just been, I was like, I like these people. Like I kind of mm -hmm. want to keep working with these people. I really like them. So your business seems to be doing well. I love the way that y'all all work. Um, what about entrepreneurship gives you the flexibility you need to work and also take care of yourself? 
Yeah. So it's kind of like a catch-22 in the sense that if you're an entrepreneur, you're kind of always on the clock and always responsible and it's actually harder to take time off. Um, But at the same token, it gives you an accountability and a purpose that's much more than just a nine-to-five job um, that you can easily take medical leave off of and clock out at certain times and take sick days. Um, So it really forces me to show up every day um, because if I don't show up, you know, the business could crumble. And um, sometimes that's a lot of pressure and then other times it gets me going. And it's also good in the sense that I am all about preventative measures. So if I am feeling as if a depressive episode is creeping up or I'm anxious, I have the flexibility at 2 p.m. to say I'm going home to take a nap or I'm going home and I'm going to go on a walk. And then if I feel better, I'll work a little bit later. Or if not, I'll make it up the rest of the week. You know, I have that flexibility to say, okay, I'm only going to work four hours today, but then I'm going to work on a Saturday to make up for it. You know, it's just about getting the work done, not necessarily in the time constraint that you need to be working. And so I can be flexible with my mood, with my energy levels. Um, I'm really all about making your biology work to your workflow. So I tell my team all the time, if you couldn't go to bed till three, um, don't come into work at nine because you're going to be a wreck. You're going to hate work. You're not going to like it. Sleep in and then come in and work late or work on the weekend or whatever. Maybe you can finish it in four hours today. I don't know. So um, it lets me really be in tune with my body while also keeping me highly accountable and responsible for things. So it's kind of – it's a good – I I recommend if you have a mental illness to jump into entrepreneurship because it really – I believe also we're really good at dealing with high highs and low lows and that's what entrepreneurship is. So in that sense, we're kind of like, oh yeah, that track record, I got that. You know, I'm used to that. So there's there's a lot of benefits. Do you have a specific schedule or lifestyle that you wouldn't be able to have with a conventional job? It's interesting because I actually stick to a very regimented otherwise. Like I'm in the office at nine and I leave around five um, because I need structure and I need routine, but I have the option if I'm not feeling well to reorganize my day a little bit. But those are the exceptional exception days. Um, on a day-to-day basis, I'm quite routined. I actually do work a nine to five. Um, it's just the fact that it's my decision and it's my rules to do that. And that's what works with me versus someone else telling me I have to. I'm kind of a rebel with authority. So in that way, I'm quite routined and I'm quite nine to fiver. Um, It's just on my own terms, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. There's an element of uncertainty with being an entrepreneur that could be difficult when also struggling with mental illness. What are some practical tools you use to work through that? Yeah. So uncertainty is just really about managing your anxiety and also understanding and having faith in yourself that one, things will work out. And if you do the right things, maybe that, you know, maybe you wanted A and you get B, but you will get something in return. So when it comes to uncertainty, that's part of the bipolar game and that's some, and the entrepreneurial game. And that's something you have to be comfortable in. Like it's just something that you're going to have to face that's going to come at you. And your reasoning for doing what you do has to be stronger than those moments of uncertainty. And of course, you can plan as much as you can. But for example, in the beginning of my business, I was so new, I couldn't really get clients unless I did month-to-month contracts. And that's not a lot of like, I didn't know what my next paycheck was going to be next month because I didn't know who would be with me next month. And so that was super uncertain. But I had to work through that to prove myself, get results so that clients would sign three to six-month contracts with me, which then gave me more certainty in my business. So I think there are systems you can put in place in 
in your business that offer you a little bit more certainty as far as predicting your income and your revenue and things of that nature. In the beginning, yes, it is quite uncertain and all up in the air. And that's just something you have to get super okay with and you have to actually welcome it because at the end of the day, I know we try not to think about it, but life is uncertain. I mean, there's nothing that's certain in life. We just think it is. And so what entrepreneurship makes you deal with is that we are mortal and things go wrong and failure happens. And so it's just about knowing that you're strong enough and you're comfortable enough in your own skin to know that whatever happens, you can deal with it, that a mistake is a mistake and you'll move on, that the world's not coming to an end and you can get through what was destined for you to get through. You sound so confident. And I love it. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing I like more than talking to a confident woman. I mean, you do. You just sound like. I don't know. I just love it. So thank you. Yeah, I think whether mental illness is a factor or not, one of the best things you can do as an entrepreneur is to build your team. For me, there are days that I know I just can't be on, or maybe one of my kids are sick or something like that, and I just I just can't be there. And so it's really important that my business doesn't, you know, come to a crashing halt that day if I can't show up. And so it's crucial for me to have this team that can keep things going. So how important is a team to you for for your business? Yeah, a team is very important. And I'm still figuring out how best to manage that and what that looks like for me, essentially. But having a team for me is more, um, I would say it's more of an emotional experience in the sense that I never really bring someone onto my team that's necessarily super qualified or anything like that. The people I bring on have to work in the work culture with me, have to get along, have to have the certain drive, have to be loyal and dedicated and passionate and inspired human beings that want to create a future for themselves. That spirit is what I look for in a team versus I went to this college and I got, you know, I've had this many years of experience. So for me, the team is all about the energy um, and also feeling like you can trust them. If, you know, um, Naomi, she's actually been my best friend since kindergarten who I brought onto the team. And I think that she's like my, you know, right-hand woman and I couldn't hire someone I didn't know for that position because she knows that if I need to dip out for two days because of my disorder, which I have mm-hmm. not done, by the way, she knows that she can take care of it and like she's ready for that. And so I need people to understand that. Um, so – and I don't use that as an excuse or a crutch or even, you know, I never – I've never even – It's just a fact. Yeah, it's just a fact. But I've never used that as like an excuse to not do my right. stuff. But um, yeah, building a team is very emotional for me because I one, I only hire women and I want to believe in them and I want them to believe in me and I want it to be working towards something greater than just like their nine to five. You know, I want that experience to be as fulfilled as the experience is for me. And we have another episode coming up soon with Scout or where we are going to talk all about her agency and her business. So you'll have to, you'll have to keep um, listening to, to hear that one. But um, what are some safeguards that entrepreneurs can have in place, both in business and their personal lives, so that if mental illness symptoms are creeping in, they can be proactive? 
Yeah, I think that it's a balance between knowing when to take a rest and knowing when to push through. So sometimes when I'm depressed, sitting and taking the day off is actually the worst thing that I could do for myself. And actually going to work, doing everything I need to do, running my errands, pushing through is actually going to get me to the other end. Sometimes it's like, no, I need to take a nap and I need to shut my mind off and I need to be alone for a little bit. So it's really about getting in tune with yourself and what you need and then implementing that. There are practical things about being your own boss that could be a factor when living with mental illness like health insurance. Was was that ever a factor when trying to decide if you wanted to go into business for yourself and how did you manage that? Yeah, I mean, full disclaimer, my husband's in a PhD program, so I'm on his health insurance. So that was never, thank God, I, I'm quite grateful for that. So that was never um, an option, but I am now looking into it for my employees. And so that's something that I'm, you know, coming up for. But um, I am very lucky in the sense that I have great health insurance and I know that is a complete privilege and not everyone has access to that. So yeah. It's funny because I was always on my husband's stuff. And I mean, my husband took care of me for 11 years and it wasn't until he got ill that I brought home (laughs) my first paycheck. Um, But I was always on his insurance and everything, and I thought that we would be able to file for short-term short-term disability when he got sick, and and we weren't able to because he hadn't been at that specific company long enough. Mm. And now I prepare for everything. Like now I've got insurance, I have short-term disability, all of that, because it's amazing once you go through it. You realize, I mean, and, and that's something you could easily get yourself. You know, if something happened, you'd be able to do it. But it's it's just interesting how you start to think about, oh, can I do this too? And I know that uh, there, there are people out there listening who that's something that they think about. Well, I have great insurance with my company, so I'm never going to take this full time. I'm just going to have this as like a side hustle when it is it is possible to do to do both. It is. Oh, yeah. It's totally possible. I mean, even if it might cost you a little bit more up front in the beginning, you know, the mental health benefits, the fulfillment benefits, living your purpose benefits far outweigh, you know, what you're going to have to necessarily maybe go into just to have insurance for yourself. I've had insurance by myself without an employer, so I have been down that road. Um, and it is possible. Sleeping with a Stranger is officially available everywhere books are sold in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Since the book's launch, I've been amazed by how it's been received. From being named a bestseller by USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble, to incredibly personal and touching reviews from my amazing readers, it's been such a wild journey. Here's one of my favorite reviews I got the book in the mail today and finished it before going to bed. It's not that it was an easy read, it's just that I could not put it down. There were so many truth bombs that I could resonate with in my own life, but I will have to skim back through a second time to highlight them since I couldn't stop long enough to do so the first time. I don't remember the last time, if ever, I have wanted to read an entire book in one day, but this one I did. I can't wait to share this story with you. To get your copy, go to jessicazimmerman.com today or wherever books are sold. And to make sure you get all my upcoming book tour updates, join the newsletter list now. What is something you wish all entrepreneurs either knew or did so that they could protect their own mental health? 
I would say to not put 100% of your worth into your business, um, which I did in the beginning. Um, You know, if a client was unhappy with me, um, my day was ruined and I was nothing, right? Um, Mm. That's not how you should run your business. You should know that there are boundaries and that you should not necessarily let your life's energy levels or vibration that you bring to life be so determined on whether the day went well in business or not. It's And it's also really small things that usually happen. It's not, I lost all of my clients in one day. You know, It's like one client's having a bad day and made a grumpy remark. Um, that doesn't mean that you aren't worthy. So to attaching your worthiness to your business too much can be, can be dangerous. Mm, that's a great answer. I love that. Okay. Last question. If you had Oprah's money, like billions of dollars, and had to spend it on something totally selfish, what would you buy? Totally selfish. What would I buy? Just for you. A really big, beautifully designed, custom-made architect, interior design, the works, house that overlooks the ocean. I love that because being home is so important to you and being in a safe place. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That what a good answer. Well, thank you so much. I know we're gonna have you on soon for another episode. So I can't thank you enough for just being so honest and raw. And um, I learned stuff. I know I, I learned a lot. I know other people will too. So thank you for being so open to share. Yeah, thank you for having me. Gosh, was that not such an amazing talk with Scout? I know her willingness to share openly about her mental health journey will help so many of you feel the validation you need that you can prioritize both mental health and entrepreneurship. I love the good word Scout ended with, that we can't find our entire identity in our work. This week, let's work on being passionate about the work we're doing without letting the unavoidable bumps in the road that happen with any business make us feel less than. Make sure you keep an eye out for my next episode with Scout coming later this year. I'll see you next week right here on Zimmerman Podcast.